For centuries, Americans have gathered together to celebrate the holidays, reaffirm family ties, and wish goodwill to all men. But this Christmas, Santa's got a brand new bag. Now you gotta listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? What do a stewardess, a gunrunner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? You gonna come in on this thing with me. You got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half million in cash. Half a million dollars will always be missed. Let him get the money and then just take it from him. She's trying to play your ass against me, huh? That was fun. Yeah, I really hit the spot. So she and your girlfriend, is that what you thought? Oh, I hope you felt appropriately guilty afterwards. I did. Well. There's only one question. Man, I ain't getting in this trunk. You ain't gonna be in here no more than 10 minutes. Man, I ain't riding in no trunk for no minute. Who's playing who? Let's make a deal. Yeah, so what's she gonna give us? Are you gonna offer to set him up? Yeah. I thought doing something stupid. Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda. A middle-aged woman finds herself in between a huge conflict that will either make her a profit or cost her life. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luck Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Today we are discussing Jackie Brown. 1997. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. Future Elias here, just coming in, chiming in and correcting myself. I know somewhere around here, I think I say it's the fourth or fifth movie that Tarantino ends up uh, writing and directing. It's actually his third movie that he wrote and directed. It, I have the entire list right underneath you in the uh, uh, the show notes. Just check it out for the entire uh, list. Jackie Brown, this is... Um... One of the beginning of the great movies that Quentin Tarantino has uh, produced. I'm trying to find his full filmography right here. Okay, so um, we all know Quentin Tarantino for a number of things, such as My Best Friend's Birthday in 1987, Reservoir Dogs in 92, Pulp Fiction 94, yeah, he did an episode at ER in 95, okay. Uh, Four Rooms in 95, I'm not too familiar with that. Jackie Brown in 97. So technically it is his one, two, three, four, fifth movie in uh, sequential order of movies, big features that he's really produced. This is uh, the movie before he went on to do Kill Bill 1 in 03 and Kill Bill Volume 2 in 04, which he actually considers one movie, but why did we buy two tickets then? Eh? Eh? <laughs> I saw uh, D- David uh, Ulrich say something about that. Um, but anyways, Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors, and I've seen him um, 
progress and his skill as, you know, watching his movies over the course of, I don't know how many years growing up, growing up in my life, I guess. Um, I mean, Pulp Fiction was in 94, but I mean, th- that's probably one of the earliest movies I recall. I think it was like my pops watching or something like that. And I always recall that being on television. Um, I think Pulp Fiction is probably the majority of people's favorites. Um, I know a lot of people have different uh, love for, uh, you know, different parts of Tarantino's work. Uh, a lot of people like Inglorious and uh, Django, which was 09 and Django was uh, 2012. But, um, yeah, also, um, he's done a wide variety of work. Let's just say that. Jackie Brown is one of the movies that aren't one of the most widely talked about, I think, because it's not one of the movies that are quite uh, done on such a wide scale that it's like boom, bang, boom. You know, it's not like uh, big shoot 'em up kind of stuff. And so it doesn't necessarily get as much, uh, let's say, not praise, but just doesn't get as much um, noteworthiness. I don't know. Something about it just has kind of gone under the radar as kind of a sleeper hit and is one of his more cult cult films, if you want to say, um, that they have like a category within them. I, I think that Jackie Brown ended up becoming one of my favorite Tarantino films. Um, most recently I watched it when I was in, uh, traveling in Vancouver, which beautiful Vancouver. Oh my goodness. I couldn't recommend seeing it enough, but while I was there, I um, decided to pop on Jackie Brown, and I wanted to see the performance of Pam Greer as Jackie Brown. I, I wasn't too familiar with Pam Greer as a uh, as a, like a celebrity or an actress or anything like this, and so I had to go back and really look to see what she's done. And she's been in most notably uh, Above the Law, which was uh, the uh, Steven Seagal movie. And uh, the other one was uh, Escape from L.A. with uh, Kurt Russell, the John Carpenter movie, and uh, Ghost of Mars. I'm not really too familiar with that one. But um, also, oh, it's a John Carpenter movie as well. So she's done um, quite a bit of features, some not quite as... I don't think anything anything has been as big as... um, <clears throat> oh, she's from Winston-Salem, N.C. That's uh, rel- relatively close to Charlotte, where we are close to. Um, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that. She's um, Pam Greer has actually done a lot of uh, television and voice work. I saw that she's in um, the Justice League as Mariah, I think, and uh, a couple other of... Uh, Shows I'm not terribly familiar with, but she's still getting a lot of work from what I can see. She's a fantastic actress in this. I think that she's completely underrated in in every spectrum. I think she's uh, got a great script from Tarantino to use. I think that this is one of her uh, one of the better films that he directs uh, females in. I know that sometimes you know Tarantino can be a little bit edgy with his work. And some people think that he um, uh, crosses the line in some areas. I think this is a movie that he relatively is playing it, quote-unquote, safe. 
And uh, I, it's it, not safe in a boring manner, but safe in a way that doesn't seem like he's uh, demeaning or doesn't have like uh, a crude message to it. And that's actually something that um, I heard uh, someone on the Slash Film cast talk about the new movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is coming out this week, which is actually why I'm covering Jackie Brown right now. Kind of wanted to add like a reflection on some of Tarantino's work. And I didn't want to do uh, Pulp Fiction because everyone knows Pulp Fiction. So I wanted to do a movie that people aren't terribly familiar with. So, yeah, I think that... um, yeah, this movie works for a number of reasons. Obviously, the performances. We have Pam Greer. We have Samuel L. Jackson. We have, um, if you want me to continue, um, I'm going to have more people within the story that are... Basically, there's some cameos in here I might mention. And uh, if you want to go ahead and watch the movie, go ahead and you know pop it on. Because I totally would recommend it. I think it's worth the... Uh, two hours and 34 minutes it it is you know got a little bit of a length to it but i will say that um i don't think it's padded out i think it's just uh smooth sailing is what i'd say um i know how tarantino likes to have pretty long set movies but i mean once upon a time is was it over two hours and 40 minutes so it's going to be kind of hefty on, on, on that front so i will say that this has a stellar cast, excellent direction, writings, top-notch. It's interesting. You can definitely see Tarantino has a foot fetish in this movie. It, uh, he's just fascinated with it, and I can't really blame him for you know putting a camera on something and uh, making it look good, I, I, no matter what it is, no matter if you're talking about feet, hands, uh, clothes or cars, you know, if the guy can do it, he can do it. So I'm not going to, you know, tell him what to shoot. So if you can make something that typically isn't as interesting, interesting, then, you know, go ahead. Let's, let's see what you can do. Um, Jackie Brown overall has an interesting, uh, crime narrative to it. And, there's always this domino effect that happens within Tarantino films, if you know what I mean. I, I'll explain a little bit more in uh, the spoiler section. But it's always fun to see how the fuse is lit and how everything becomes... Um, uh, how the house of cards start to crumble in a way. And uh, I think after the first... Um, uh, there's a, there's a kind of a major crime that happens that really sets everything off and really gets the wheels turning in motion. Um, that really had me on pins and needles and ready to just watch this movie. I was like, whoa! I was not expecting that because you 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 could just be sitting down, everything's all cool, and then boom, bang, boom, and all of a sudden the narrative changed and there wasn't like some big build up for it to happen and you were not expecting it. The thing about Tarantino movies that I really enjoy overall is that they they go against um typical Hollywood tropes and that's why I think people really like watching um Tarantino movies is they're there's always something unexpected, this element of surprise that um, I personally really enjoy. 
let me see what else I can find about this movie before we um, get into additional information. So yeah, I would like to talk about some additional people that are in the cast that really flesh this out to make it uh, an interesting, lively world. And I can tell that this is one of Tarantino's lower budget films in a way. It just felt like, and it didn't feel like he was going all over the place. Like um, some of his movies, he, he, he does feel like he travels some serious ground. So compared to his earlier movies, y'all know I like talking about the, the what the price tag on some of these movies are. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, obviously that was a very small movie done on a $1.2 million budget. My lord, um, didn't only made about 150000 opening weekend, so it was a very small opening, but eventually became a very big cult film. Pulp Fiction, another probably relatively smaller budget movie, but it had a stellar cast, $8 million estimated, and this is a 94. Uh, opening weekend was... Nine million dollars, and eventually went to gross on uh, two hundred thirteen um, million dollars, which I think actually became one of the most successful indie movies, is what I believe is what is considered. He had four rooms, um, went on a four million dollar estimated budget, went on to gross um, another four point three million, and then right after that was Jackie Brown. And that was done on the $12 million budget. So I guess this is actually one of his bigger... This was his biggest budget at the time. But um, personally, I didn't feel like they went too many places that made it feel like it should have been that expensive. Kill Bill, I bet that was way more expensive just because of the... Uh, oh, yeah, this Kill Bill almost uh, tripled the budget. Kill Bill was a $30 million budget and ended up uh, opening on a $22 million budget and ended up grossing $180 million worldwide. So Kill Bill alone tripled that uh, Jackie Brown budget. And uh, <clears throat> Kill Bill 2 actually had a $30 million budget as, as well. Opening with the $25 million budget and going on to gross $152 million. It looks like it had slightly less um, less successful worldwide. But anyways, back to Jackie Brown. I do think this has some of the most interesting cin uh, cinematography in this uh, this film. Is he considered the... Uh, Guillermo Navarro is the uh, cinematographer of Jackie Brown, who is actually the cinematographer of a lot of different things. Uh, he had he seems to have a lot of music video under uh, music videos underneath his belt. Pacific Rim, twenty thirteen, Night at the Museum, twenty fourteen, um, the Twilight series. Uh, I am number four on 2011. Not really too familiar with that. He did Hellboy 08, Night at the Museum 06, Pan's Labyrinth 06, Zathura 04, Hellboy 04, uh, Spy Kids 01. Okay, okay. 
dire- uh, director of photography of uh, Stuart Little. So he went from Jackie Brown to Stuart Little and from 97 to 99. <laughs> um, and he also was the director of photography of uh, Spawn 97. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he's got around on... <laughs> oh, and he's also Tarantino, cinematographer on uh, From Dust Till Dawn, Four Rooms. And, uh, yeah, it looks like those are the two, uh, films he worked on with, uh, Tarantino. So, maybe it'd be worth checking out those, uh, uh, Dust Till Dawn Four Rooms for Stroke with the Cinematography because it's, uh, overall the same director and cinematographer, so hopefully there's some sort of, uh, narrative cohesion for him. Um, this crime drama thriller is... A slow burn is what I would rec- I would say it is. You know, grab your vice of choice. Hang out. Grab a brew. Grab a you know glass of wine. Enjoy the presence of Tarantino's writing because there's something about just turning on the Tarantino movie and enjoying what everyone's saying or or uh, just listening to the conversation because it very much is a conversation for a good chunk of his movies. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm just going to take a guess, is going to have some of these long, drawn-out conversations. I haven't seen it at this point, but I am pretty excited that you know we're going to have some uh, snappy dialogue between Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio. So, and, and Margot Robbie, especially. So, all fantac- fantastic on screen. So, let's get back to the characters. This has uh, 7.5 on IMDb, which I personally think is low. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Um, This has Samuel L. Jackson as uh, Ordell Robbie, Robert uh, Forster as Max Cherry, Bridget Fonda as Melanie Ralston, Michael Keaton as Ray Nicolette, Robert De Niro as Louis Guerra, and... uh, Michael Bowen is Mark Dargis, and Chris Tucker is Baymont Livingston. So these uh, these are some of the main characters that really make this uh, a lively story for me personally. I think that once um, the dominoes start falling and we start really seeing the the edges of this crime really start to form. I think that it really um, steps in a right in the right direction of an interesting uh, crime story. Um, there's not much more I can say from uh, the non-spoiler standpoint, but I will say I really enjoyed the performances of, especially Samuel L. Jackson. His smoothness in this cannot be understated. I love the direction. I love the long one takes that they have. And there's one specific long take of one of the first initial crimes that gets us going that is, uh, it's the one that really has me, like, it's the one scene that makes me say, damn, yes, this is a director's movie, and I think that you all need to see it as well. So, um, I think that's about it. Let's um, hop into the spoiler section of Jackie Brown. So... We're in the spoiler section of Jackie Brown right now. Um, By now, 
I would seriously recommend go ahead and watch the the movie because I I think that you're gonna regret you know spoiling yourself if you haven't seen it already. So, anyways, spoilers. The scene that made me want to check this that made me want to podcast about this movie is the scene of Ordell talking to uh, Belmont Bel Baymont Belmont. There's no L. Chris Tucker's character, damn it. Um, Baymont and Baymont Livingston. And it is so relaxed. You think that at the beginning of the scene, they're going to do some sort of, uh, you know, thing. They're going to, you know, go take care of some business, essentially. Samuel L. is so chill. But there's small things that he's doing that, give you key insight to say that he's about to take out Chris Tucker's character. And once he does it, once he tricks Chris Tucker into getting into the back of the trunk, I was in shock. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy is either, you know, just dumb as fuck for one thing. Uh, Chris Tucker got deodorant all up in his ass and he's he's fresh out of bed i was like it chris tucker was barely in the movie he was in it for like less than 10 minutes probably but it was that one scene that really let it up and the scene is just rolling and you're like oh my gosh when he when samuel throws the uh throws him into the back of the uh uh trunk you're like, what the fuck is going on? And he like pops on the music and the camera just continues to roll and the just the crane shot just goes up and then turns a little bit to the left as you as you watch the uh the car turn into this little uh section that looked like a construction zone and it you know the trunk pops open and it's this crazy jarring feeling of Holy shit, you were just watching these two guys have a funny, nice conversation to all of a sudden, pop, pop, pop. And you hear Chris Tucker like, hey, man, I'm in the back. It's like, and it's like done. And it's just like, oh, my God. It was the. I don't know if I was just like taken off guard or I just was not ready for it. I was because I swear there's a good 20 minutes of the beginning where I was like, okay, well, we're kind of introduced, getting introduced to the world, these people. I was like, I don't, besides the cinematography and the direction, I wasn't seeing what was really grasping, uh, you know, people for this uh, specific movie. But this scene specifically was the one. That I was like, "Oh shit, this is this is different." You know, this is uh, subverting expectations and subverting tropes. So it made me sit up in my chair just a little bit more. And I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, they just took out Chris Tucker. I was like, "This that was his boy." You know, that was his uh, you know confidant. And he, I was just like, I, I had to rewind the movie a little bit, and I rewatched that scene. And I was like, "My God!" And so. From there, I realized this is a Tarantino movie that where, 
you know, who's the the match has been lit and now the fuse is going down the line, taking out people one by one. And just like in Tarantino form, um, it's a slow burn the way it happens, but it's it's the greed that really processes through everyone that, you know, co- ultimately cost them their life, even down to the characters of uh, Robert De Niro, who I kind of was underwhelmed with uh, Robert De Niro in this. I'll be honest. Um, I think that um, I think personally, Robert De Niro has been better in other uh, movies. I can't really put a I can't really put a finger on what exactly the performance he was doing. It, it felt very much undertoned, you know, just, you know, stoner crime dude. And, um, apparently he just has a really, he, he has a sharp temper and you see that once it, it, it turns, I think it's around the hour and a half mark whenever he starts pushing around, uh, Bridget Fonda, uh, her character is uh, Melanie and he, he starts kind of becoming, you know, somewhat abusive in a way. And you can see why he's really, you know, the bad guy he is. And, uh, yeah. So we have, we have Melanie and Ordell as a couple throughout the majority of the movie, but, Melanie is basically tossing herself at Lewis, and um, Ordell knows it as well. Um, there's also this kind of love triangle thing going on, um, sort of client confida- confidentiality kind of thing going on. Uh, Samuel L. is aware that Robert Forster, one of my favorite characters of this film, is feeling the hots for Pam Greer. Um, her character is Jackie Brown. So Max Cherry and Jackie Brown are hitting it off. And so, so throughout the, uh, the course of the crimes and everything that is happening behind the scene, we have somebody that's on the inside, Max Cherry, who is actually trying to help Jackie Brown, you know, get through all this. And we're really realizing who the real bad guy is, throughout the majority of the movie, which ends up being Ordell. So, um, well, it's technically Ordell and Lewis, but, you know, the, the way the the chips fall, they all take each other out. So, um, <laughs> Samuel L.'s hair in this, my God, I don't even know what to say about that. That was some, that was something. <laughs> um, he definitely looked like he was pushing some guns, though, I'll tell you that. So, um, anything else? I really like the music in this. I don't have anything. Uh, it's been a while since I actually listened to it, so I don't have the soundtrack right in front of me. But I recall thinking that the soundtrack was one of his better ones. Mic drops really worked. Um, oh, yeah. Across 10th Street, uh some Smokey Robinson, some uh, Brothers Johnson, some Baby Love, love some Baby Love, um, Johnny Cash, um, yeah, we, we we had we had a an amalgamation of music, and among other things, I thought that you know the, the all of that really worked. 
Um, Elmore Leonard is also credited as a writer under Rum Punch. I think Rum Punch, this might have been based off of the movie, that movie. Um, but yeah, so, uh, also Michael Keaton. It was a pleasure to see Michael Keaton in this. Um, I want, I've never seen Tarantino direct Michael Keaton, but it looked exactly what would happen if you got Tarantino directed by Michael Keaton directed by Tarantino. I, I was so hyped. It was great. Um, Bridget Fonda as Melanie Ralston. Um, she is a shit. Um, one, she's annoying as hell. Two, she's, um, got this thing with feet and she's annoying the hell out of Lewis the majority of the time. And I could definitely see her. She was throwing herself at him. Um, the way that it shot, eh, it's it's not the worst uh, Tarantino's ever done. I've I've seen it much much worse, but you know, um, that that sex was pretty casual. I guess that was kind of unexpected. Um, I, I I don't know what I what to what to think about her character. I guess she was really trying to just like play her cards to see the, how far she could get. And she really did try to get far. Once Lewis took uh, Melanie out in the parking lot right after they took the money from the uh, the stalls, which was, I mean, I was on pins and needles throughout this entire, like, I was, the suspense was all-time high. I was like, God dang. I, was like, I mean, I, it was the classic mix-up kind of stuff. And seeing Melanie go out, you know, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Lewis says, Boom! And down Melanie goes. The camera just keeps on going, doesn't even show her. I just figured because of the budget, we didn't have time to look at Melanie. But it, I was just like, she's done. I was like, sheet. I was like, sheet. He just, he just fucking killed her. And grabs it, jumps in the car, and leaves her body in the parking lot. I was in shock. I mean, th that's the kind of movie we're getting now. I mean, I was like. Damn, this is no longer the movie I thought I was watching. And so it escalates in a way that I really like, and it doesn't get ridiculous. Like, I want to say, like, Django at the third act just got fucking ridiculous. Um, so, let me see. Yeah, I, once the dominoes fell, once people started getting taken out left and right, I was like, my gosh. The thing is, a lot of Tarantino movies kind of end in a, uh, mixed polarizing sort. I want to say that this this was a lot more of a smooth, satisfying, um, not quite positive, but you know, a smooth criminal kind of way. Like, it, not like Michael Jackson, but like <laughs> you know, just like when when your favorite robbers get away with it, kind of thing. And that that that's what it felt like at the end of this, and I, I'm I'm glad it ended in a way that, um, I don't know, it it made sense, but not in a way that you know, like, it, it, I like the ending. I don't know what more to say about that. Um, and one thing I didn't really talk about is the chemistry, the chemistry between, um. All the characters, just as friends, really worked. But also the chemistry between uh, uh, Pam Greer and Samuel L. My gosh, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't like sparks in a way that was romantic, but in a way that was magnetic. It was like, damn, these are really two 
fine actors and actresses that are putting on a hell of a performance. And uh, I, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, Robert Forrester, who plays Max Cherry, he's one of my favorite actors of this um, movie, and I, I couldn't say enough good things about it. So, yes. Thank you for listening to the Jackie Brown 1997 uh, movie review. I'm really glad you got to listen to it. I can't wait to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors, and he's always bringing a unique style and uh, always something to look forward to, definitely. So... Thank you for listening, and take it easy. We also have additional social media stuff you can follow. You can donate. You can help keep the podcast running. You know know what to do. Check out the show notes. And also, if I mess anything up and uh, just uh, with the information or facts or something like that, just check the show notes. I've created it on there. Thank you. Robert De Niro. Is she dead? I, I, I... Yes or no? Is she dead? Pretty much. Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. AK-47. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every mother in the room, except no substitutes. Nothing gets between me and my AK. <laughs>